This week, it's all about the ladies taking control, with Rose and Dorothy taking it upon themselves to put their skills to the test by renovating one of their many bathrooms, while Blanche works on recognizing and holding personal boundaries and expectations with her wealthy beau, Richard. We're learning how to be strong feminist queens in today's episode, Second Motherhood. Thank you for the friendship. We've come so far and traveled wide. You're my best friends. I could never lie. I love when we party, dance, and sing, and laugh just doing our thing. No matter the misters that come and go. It's a perfectly lovely day as we enter the house to find Dorothy and Rose receiving an estimate for bathroom repairs from a mystery contractor. That mystery man is being played by renowned stage and screen actor Terry Wills. Terry is a founding member of the Magic Theater in San Francisco, and in addition to his television appearances, he has written and directed plays. When it comes to TV, he's had some recurring roles on shows like Days of Our Lives and Family Ties. His resume has other impressive names like Sister Act, Harry and the Hendersons, Designing Women, and Moonlighting. And when it comes to the Golden Girls, let's just say we haven't seen the last of Terry. For the repairs the women are wanting done in one of their many bathrooms, it will cost them about $3,000, which is the highest estimate they've received so far. As the plumber, as his character is named, continues, he argues that his prices are high because of his skills and knowledge about everything that could go wrong. Just like with the home security scammer, Dorothy is fed up and boots this guy out the front door. At first, you feel kind of bad. Okay, sure, he was expensive, but he did claim to be able to take a toilet apart whilst being blindfolded. So perhaps the higher price is reasonable as you get what you pay for. But just like on Bachelorette, as soon as he starts to hear a no, Plumber Man loses all support as he says, You're going into a feminist phase a little late in life, huh, ladies? I'm not sure what exactly Dorothy did that would qualify as being feminist here. I guess because she told him to get out of the house instead of saying, yes, sir, while handing him a martini. As Dorothy slams the door in the newly minted jerk's face, we are left with a cliffhanger. He says, you'll come back. They always do. As we say in the plumbing business, slam. Coco, what's the end of that sentence? Oh, as we say, as we say in the plumbing business, we all float down here. And you will float, too, when you don't install your toilet correctly. Dorothy turns back to Rose, still in shock and frustration at the jerk's behavior. She's looking powerful in her very interestingly cut outfit, wearing white pants, a sort of multi-collared white shirt, which is under a purple and gray sweater that is still giving us full art teacher vibes. As Dorothy has the purple box checked, Rose is wearing one of her signature, look how great my figure is, dresses in teal. One bit I always love in the show is when Rose, unexpectedly and very out of character, is suddenly super smart about something. For example, as she looks over the estimate line by line, she responds to Dorothy's, he must think we're stupid, 
with a, yeah, really stupid, how could he possibly think we would need three dozen spud gaskets? Her intelligence, when it appears, is always jarring. In this case, she's actually right. A spud gasket is the little rubber stopper thingy at the bottom of the toilet tank. From what I read, it appears the toilet only needs one, but she's saying only a dozen. Either way, she is right. He was trying to rip them off. I regret ever defending you, plumber man. Continuing the gasket and bib conversation into the kitchen where Sophia is cooking, Rose explains that on the farm back in St. Olaf, she had to help with all the plumbing, even though they didn't get it until she was 18 years old. While that sounds outrageous, that would have been somewhere in the 1940s, so it's not totally unheard of. Even to this day, there are 2 million Americans without indoor plumbing. This is due to lack of infrastructure, mostly in clustered areas. And the state with the highest population without plumbing is actually New York. Sadly, of course, it isn't all about infrastructure. With whites and those with higher income statuses, the percentage without plumbing is only 0.3%, but for Black and Latinx, it's 0.5%. And with the Navajo Nation facing the greatest plumbing issue and water scarcity, Native Americans are at a 5.8%. If you'd like to help those that are working to provide clean running water to the Navajo Nation, please visit NavajoWaterProject.org. When Dorothy learns of Rose's skills, she gets an idea. What if the two of them did the work? Right away, Rose is like, we could totally do it. Having now thought through what she was saying, Dorothy kind of backs off. No, this is a wild idea. She actually says crazy, but I'm really working on removing that from my personal vocabulary. Anyway, Sophia agrees. The two of them doing the bathroom? That's a no. Ladies and gentlemen, stop what you are doing. While it was hanging up in last week's episode, the only time it was seen was a quick glance when Blanche grabbed her post-workout salad. But now, Sophia is cooking, and we get our first extended shot of the pan. What once was hanging on the wall above the kitchen sink has now been moved to the wall behind the stove. It is a copper pan shaped like a lobster, you sick people. It's a lobster. Yes, it is hanging head and claws down, making the bottom part look bulbous, shall we say, and with the tail facing upwards looking like a long, girthy lobster tail, and with the teslin and uropods at the end of the tail looking mushroomy, those are the technical terms for a lobster tail, well, it's clear to see why so many people have thought and continue to think that perhaps the pan belongs to Blanche or was maybe used at a bachelorette party. Sadly, it's nothing salacious, just a decorative crustacean. And I have to think that somebody saw it hanging up there and laughed about the shape. You know, whether it was someone on the production team, somebody saw it and was like, that looks pretty phallic. They knew. They knew. They knew. <laughs> Let's put the, and they probably scanned like, all right, where does the camera hit in the kitchen that we've got space? Right there. <laughs> yeah, where can we see it in virtually every shot? Yeah, I, there's yeah. no way that was an accident. <laughs> Sophia then gives us some insight into Dorothy's hand-eye coordination, saying that for the first few months of her life, she was actually attempting to breastfeed from Sophia's cameo. That's the decorative little brooch-like item worn in the middle of the neck at the top of the collar. It's usually a light color like a blue with different designs, perhaps a white silhouette of a woman's face. So yeah, she was only off by about six inches or so. No one acknowledges Sophia's story. Rose and Dorothy look to each other, 
look over the estimate again, and agree to give it a shot. They can totally do it, and they'll save money. Sophia, with perhaps her cup of hot tea she cooked on the stove, gets in another harsh remark about Dorothy's lack of dating before leaving the room as Blanche enters it. Blanche is looking stunning in a wide-necked, bedazzled purple top with matching, undazzled pants. She's come to do what the ladies are doing 31% of the time when they enter a room, asking to borrow someone's jewelry. This time, it's Blanche needing Dorothy's long rhinestone chain. Not allowing her own daughter to answer the question, Sophia chimes in. Of course you can borrow it. She won't need it for a date, and the only other thing she might do with it is snake out the drain, meaning using a long, snake-like tool to clean out clogs and such. Blanche uses the opportunity to humbly brag that she's dating a man named Richard, and the dates are so elaborate and fantastical, she just doesn't know where she'll end up. But of course, we all know where she'll end up. <laughs> That's improv, baby. <laughs> this is yet another thing I love about the show. They don't force feed you the plot. They have their conversations that give you the exposition needed to catch up, Blanche isn't going on a first date. The girls aren't confused about anything. We know by how they're talking that they know who Richard is and the type of person he is. Rose is in my court. She's never been interested in dating a rich man. No, it's not because she's scared of gold bullion, which is gold in any form that is 99.5% gold. Bullion can mean any precious metal and in any form. Gold itself is more coins and bars, but gold bullion can be any other shape. No, it's not that she's scared of the gold. Rose's fear of a rich man, meaning dating a rich man, is that they would care more about their money than her. A very, very valid concern, Rose. I mean, it's not like Jeff Bezos is doing anything for anyone. Blanche doesn't share that fear. She wouldn't concern herself about people that don't concern themselves with other people. It's no concern of hers. No, she's more concerned that, even though she really cares for Richard and finds him incredibly attractive, she doesn't want him to think she's only interested in his money. That's why, whenever they go out, she's totally nonchalant about his spending. I can't recall ever going on a date with, because I know I was never in a relationship with a wealthy man, but that's mostly because I'm not interested in a guy with money. I did go out with a script supervisor once, and he was... The worst. He tried to name drop and mention things he assumed I didn't know about, so when I answered him with knowledge, the air was taken out of his balloons, and he was not pleased. As Blanche starts to leave the kitchen, a kink-necked-looking Dorothy attempts to turn and call her out. You, Blanche Devereaux, are trying to tell us that if this guy was broke, cough, cough, Jake, cough, cough, you'd be into him? Blanche is being silly here, but I'm pretty sure her answer is serious, that if she was dating someone that was poor, she would just date other well-to-do men behind his back. Ha 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 ha. In the most glamorous of transition shots, we see the outside of a private jet soaring through a stunning purple and blue evening sky with a fancy version of the transition music playing. We enter the plane to see Blanche, wearing the same purple outfit with the addition of Dorothy's chain necklace, leaning over a couch to peer out the plane's window. Coco, window or aisle? Boy, it really depends. I think it, it might depend on the side of the plane I'm on, too. Mm. Let me think. On the right side of the plane, I think I want to be in the aisle. And on the left side of the plane, I want to be by the window. How interesting. Because I'm left-handed. So it changes, oh, it just changes that makes sense. How, how I have to, you have to manage how I'm going to do anything, how I'm going to reach for anything. 
Besides while I'm in the seat. your left hand, is there a pro to the aisle? Is it like leg space? I hate the aisle. Window all the way, except it gets cold. I don't know. It feels somehow because it's my, my I'm on my left side at the aisle. It feels like I have a little more freedom. Mm. Um, you kind of get that aisle space to use. Yeah, but for some reason, when I'm on the left side next to the window, I feel more comfortable. How interesting. It's, I don't know. That's fascinating. I wonder if other left-handed so. people feel that way. I hope so. <laughs> it's actually quite boring information. While it wasn't Nancy Reagan's decorator, the planes designer must be related to whomever designed the lady's house, as it has framed art on the wall, a vase full of flowers, a small ceramic statue, Things you really probably would not find on a private plane because, you know, planes move and stuff. You wouldn't exactly want the 80s puke pink vase coming at your face should you hit turbulence. The plane is so beige. Yeah. It appeared to me as though they were being held in the hand of a giant. (laughs) And like the lines on the chairs, like the leather. Those are actually his knuckles. It looked like the inside of a hand. Oh, my God. That's really funny. Yeah, it's very beige and a little bit pink, so it's very hand-looking. Thank you. Are the Golden Girls microscopic? In searching around, Blanche has found an iPad-sized remote control and, like my dad in a doctor's office, has started playing around with the gadgets she finds. The remote opens the top of a bar before starting to play Moonlight Serenade by Glenn Miller. Released in 1939, Glenn Miller's Moonlight Serenade was a hit, reaching number three on the charts and ending the year's countdown as the fifth most popular song. As the music gets turned off, the lights come on, and before Blanche can figure out how to work that dang old contraption, Richard peers through the curtains and sneaks up on her. Richard is being played by storied actor Kevin McCarthy. Acting for nearly 70 years, Kevin played some iconic roles before passing away in 2010 at the age of 96. Some of his better-known films include Death of a Salesman, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and a film I was, no joke, literally watching last night, Piranha. He had over 200 credits to his name, hitting his stride in the 80s, making appearances on all sorts of movies and TV shows. Yeah, he gets his legs eaten really well. (laughs) Spoiler alert, there are piranhas, and they eat him. And to be clear, we were just randomly watching that movie. Oh, yeah, it had nothing to do with any of it. No, very strange. It was like, oh, yeah, hey. (laughs) You know, we wake up at 3 in the morning, and we watch piranha sometimes. Yeah, what are you going to do? Can't sleep? Put on piranha. Yeah. (laughs) We're free Americans. We can do what we want. As Blanche fumbles with the remote, Richard remarks how at home she seems. Keeping her promise to not act impressed with what Richard provides for her, Blanche assures him that whenever she jets, she jets privately. Pulling out her favorite adjective, Blanche points out that the jet is just lovely. But they didn't need to go all the way to Atlanta for dinner, Richard. If he didn't outright own the jet, the rental would have been thousands of dollars. It's about seven to 10000 on the low range in today's money. Also, that's a two-hour flight, Miami to Atlanta. So you've got me committed to four hours of flying and a dinner. But if I was already hungry when you picked me up and you then told me we were going on a plane for two hours, well, you best hope the private plane also has snacks to go along with their trinkets. You would need to... Take me to dinner after taking me to dinner and taking me on the plane. Yes. Second meal. Actually, good value for your date. That's true. Two big expensive meals. But yeah, you're talking 
six hours at least. I mean, it's a two-hour flight. That's not counting, like, landing, getting getting in the car, getting to the restaurant, getting your meal, enjoying your meal, and going back home. I'd rather just hang out. Yeah. I mean, flying around would be kind of fun, I suppose. Pretty wasteful. Very. Richard. <laughs> the mess we're in now. <laughs> yeah, Richard, we had record heat here, and it's your fault for wasting gas with your private jet dinners. Well. Richard. People like him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you you hear us billionaires that are listening? Mm-hmm, we're there's, talking to you. There's got to be one. There's so many now. <laughs> one in ten. Zucker nerd. <laughs> Blanche nearly ruins her newfound expensive dating hobby by playing it too cool. Realizing Blanche isn't impressed by all the bells and whistles, Richard offers to turn around and go back home. Well, Blanche didn't mean it. She's fine to go. Besides, they're already up in the air. As Blanche takes a seat in the convenient office chair on the plane, Richard grabs the loose, huge bowl of caviar that was just sitting on a table. I mean, it's massive. If he's going on the cheap end, we're looking at a couple of hundred bucks. If he's going extravagant, which is more likely, that bowl could have cost him into the thousands. While there is orange caviar that comes from salmon, the only true caviar caviar comes from sturgeon fish. Caviar is unfertilized fish eggs that are then salt cured and used as a spread. But you wouldn't get it. That's rich people stuff. Have you ever had caviar? Never have. Never will. Don't think I would. I have no no reason to eat that. No, no thank you. So often I see you know, really fancy, fancy meals. And it's like, are you just so bored? Has your money provided you everything that now you have to have something that there's no, that's, yes, there's this, no way that you want that. This that, burger has a piece of gold on it. You're telling me that caviar is good? Get out of here. Salty fish eggs? No. As Blanche begins to dip into the gallon of fish eggs, she takes a compliment in a way I could only dream. As Richard tells her how adorable she is, she responds with, I know, and somehow she doesn't sound like a complete jerk. As Richard goes on, it's clear Blanche's laid-back attitude is actually working. When he shows off his wealth to the other lady suitors, they've been impressed. Heck, even he's impressed with his jet. But no, not Blanche. As Richard gets up to make himself a drink from the fancy bar, because private jets don't have flight attendants and rich people just love doing things for themselves, he starts to share his story, that he earned his wealth by working at a manufacturing company, and with a lot of hard work, he earned his way to the top, eventually buying that company and many others. But who cares about all of that when we have Blanche trying to deal with her office chair that has now gone rogue? In another one of Rue's fabulous physical comedy moments, the regular-looking chair she was just looking so posh in while snacking on caviar has deceived her and dropped back. She's somehow able to balance her body, her caviar, and listening to Richard. Okay, maybe not listening to, but responding to. As Blanche continues to do her best impersonation of a fish out of water, Richard finishes his story and drink pouring, only to turn around exactly as Blanche figures out how to unrecline the chair and look as cool and calm as a, how do you say, cucumber? Very few ingredients. We have tomatoes. We have, um, how do you say anything? Cucumber? Cucumbers. We have, um... Okay, a quick backstory because it's one of my new favorite stories. 
That was a clip of Alec Baldwin's wife, Hilaria Baldwin. If you are looking for a fun Google spiral, I highly suggest you throw her name in and follow the articles detailing how even though she is a white American woman, from time to time she'll present as a Latinx woman, complete with a weird half accent, including when she was on a morning show and somehow forgot the word cucumber. It's kind of like Gone Girl, but instead of faking her death, she's faking being interesting. Okay, back to Blanche. Richard sits across from Blanche and starts to sort of express himself. He doesn't exactly get into how he feels about Blanche, just says that he's been traveling the world, but he doesn't have anyone to share it with. With one of my favorite things about Blanche, her little laugh that makes her bottom mouth kind of open but also turn into a smile, she jokes that while the champagne hasn't kicked in, Richard can make a move. And move he does. He sort of kneels into her and they kiss very unpassionately. From the luxury of a private jet to the slums of a shared bathroom, we're back at the house to find Rose tapping on the wall with a wrench-type tool, presumably looking for a stud or piping. As she makes her way up the wall, Dorothy comes through the door in a flowy purple nightgown and walks for what seems like a mile across the world's largest bathroom and startles Rose, a Rose who is confused to see Dorothy as it is so late, but you know it's late, and you're okay banging on the wall? I know I talk about bathrooms a lot, but as someone who grew up in a single bathroom home and currently lives in one, I can't help but have toilet envy from time to time. This bathroom makes their bedrooms look modest. First of all, we have multicolored blue tiles laid out in a checkered pattern. There's a huge window, of which only part is frosted, so enjoy the from-the-shoulders-up show, neighbors. We have a shower that has an overhead rain-style showerhead, before I even knew they existed. The whole thing is no joke. Probably, what do you think, Coco? Like 10 by 12, if not bigger? Maybe bigger. It's enormous. It's comically. And it's funny because it's it's rich person bathroom huge, but not rich person bathroom decor. It seemed very dangerous. Was that tile around the shower? Yes. It seemed like you would just die. I mean, they're all older too. <laughs> yes. Not a not a mat to be found. Playing with their lives. Yeah, the floor too. Not not just the shower, but yeah, the the floor and the Oh my god. <laughs> Someone call the police. No one, yeah, please no one walk around in socks. Hard shoes only. Sneakers only in the bathroom. And, and get some water shoes to wear when you get out of the shower. Lord. So since we're on the topic of bathrooms, I wanted to share my personal worst bathroom experience. <laughs> I once half lived, you know, when you aren't officially living with someone, but you spend like almost all your time with that partner. So that's what I was doing. And this was several years back. He lived in a very old building that was only two stories tall. And I think it had like 16 units. The units were only 400 square feet, and the units did not have individual bathrooms. It was a European-style home, meaning there were two shared bathrooms on each floor. So if I woke up in the middle of the night and I needed to go to the bathroom, I had to find pants, go into a brightly lit hallway, hoping not to bump into anyone, get to the bathroom, which was way down the hall, hope no one was in the shower or tub, and go in and use it. Yes, a shared shower and tub with your neighbors. I get that for financial reasons, people can't do things, but it always seemed like the people that lived there, it's, they didn't care. Yes. It didn't matter. Yeah. I was the only one sitting there going, hey, guys. Yeah, to not have a have a preference or, or my God. 
That's I couldn't do it. Sharing a no. tub, sharing a tub with like a virtual stranger. Yeah, I think it just says a lot to not the people that do it out of necessity, but yes. the people that are flippant about it. It's like whoa. Yeah, or that someone would want would would sacrifice their own bathroom to live like in a cool part of town. Yeah, don't do it, people. Like you don't need that. What if you you don't what ever have sick? tummy issues? Yeah, you don't ever just want to like. I know, you know, for me, it's like, oh, I'm going out. I want to, like, be in the bathroom for a while, doing my hair and makeup, whatever. Just so many things. I want to just brush my teeth, not at my kitchen sink. That's a whole nother story. I think it's weird that we brush our teeth in the place that we use the bathroom, but we use utensils in our mouths and we don't brush our teeth in the sink. Thank you. Getting back to the work in the bathroom. While Rose is right about the lateral fusion pipe, as that's a normal piece of PVC, it's funny because everything I found online, it was called a butt fusion. So I think they just kind of cleaned it up for television. Now we're into a bit of a layout whoopsie. There are many examples online of the floor plan for the lady's house. It gets complicated as not only does the house's interior not work for the exterior, but the show itself never seemed too concerned with it, leaving us without any kind of bearings. But there's not really any layout that would make what Dorothy says correct. When she asks Rose what's on the other side of the lateral fusion pipe, she screams, My head! But that would put the bathroom at the end of the hallway and Dorothy's room moved across the hall up so her windows would be in the right place. So it just doesn't work. Hey, it's Coco here. It's like uh, their house is like the Florida equivalent of the Winchester Mystery House. Thank you. Yes. Spooky. Rose is literally taken aback from Dorothy's outburst, and it takes her a moment to find her words again to apologize. She couldn't help herself. She was just so excited to get to work and to share her discovery, something that could change the world of plumbing. Without even hearing her exciting news, Dorothy discredits it by saying she'll call the Tidy Bowl Man. Tidy Bowl is still around today, nearly 70 years after its first launch. It is a blue liquid cleanser you place in the tank of your toilet that then cleans it with each flush, keeping your toilet as blue as a gas station's. The Tidy Bowl Man is almost more famous than the product itself. As the spokesperson for Tidy Bowl, the titular man, would wear a dapper sailor's outfit and float around on a boat inside the toilet tank. He even played music. It's funny Dorothy should reference him as the campaign lasted decades but actually ended in 1984. Before we can learn what Rose's discovery is, Blanche comes in the bathroom in her same outfit, surprising she didn't have a nightcap, wink wink, with Richard, wanting to share about her night. We do get a hint about Rose's idea, that she got it whilst enjoying her second cup of Ovaltine. Again, it's no surprise this woman is always up, Between the Oreos and chocolate malt drink mixes, she's always energized. There's still a complete lack of interest in Rose, so Blanche goes on about being flown to Atlanta. Rose then forces herself to be heard. They don't even need their sludge tube. Which, from what I could find, no, to put it more accurately, what I could understand, it's pretty much what it sounds like. It's a tube to catch debris and such. I'm not sure how they work in toilets, but we don't need that kind of detail anyway. Rose treats the girls with the same level of interest as they do her as she walks away from the conversation. Blanche isn't phased. She goes on about dessert and a bistro and a waiter. 
Some great comedically timed writing here as Blanche is dramatically saying, and do you know what he said? With Rose butting in, our biggest worry will be tank sweat. And as funny as that term is, it's real. Like how a glass of cold water can get condensation on the outside, a toilet can have some issues that also lead to condensation. But one of the recommendations for correcting it is to replace the toilet, so they should be okay. As Rose makes her way back over to the ladies in her simple white nightgown, Blanche shares that she and Richard have plans for the next evening for her to meet his family. So basically they're engaged? Without any lessons learned from the last few almost or actual proposals, Blanche is elated. But her celebration is cut short by Sophia, who arrives in her white nightgown with a yellow housecoat and, of course, her purse. She politely asks the ladies to leave so she can use the throne, a.k.a. the toilet. Also, she wasn't polite about it. While you may assume toilets have the nickname of a throne because you sit on it and it's ironic to call something so unmentionable something so regal, it's actually King Louis XIV we have to thank for the moniker. Ruling France from the mid to late 1600s, he lived in Versailles, which, just like St. Olaf, didn't have indoor plumbing back then, leading to it becoming one of the filthiest palaces with urine and feces all over the floors. You know, rich people stuff. You don't get it. The throne name came from King Louis XIV's proclivity for doing his business whenever he was doing his business. Going to the bathroom whilst in a carriage, doing royal business while on a chamber pot, some real T-R-U-M-P vibes. So once again, rich guys in power, thanks for doing such cool stuff so we can have cool names for our toilet. Keep it classy. That is like the that is the grossest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> like he would just like he would just poop on the floor. But like everyone did. Like they had issues with I mean, I'm not like a Versailles expert. It was just a quick thing I read, but basically it was like people would just stop and like pee in a corner and go about their day. That's fucked up. I yeah. What the f- <laughs> I mean, what? The, or to be like, oh yeah, happen? I'm I'm like in my carriage. Can you? I have my chamber pot. I don't care that we're in this like closed thing and we're talking business. I'm just gonna go. You know, there are people like that now. Who do that? Yeah, absolutely. That I've are seen like the video of the people pooping in Walmart. No, not like sh- that. Shaking I, it down their leg and oh god, no. Mm-mm. All right, now with the door open to the bathroom, we can see that the bathroom is at the end of the hall on the left side. With the windows being where they are, the only way Dorothy's head could even be near the bathroom would be if her room moved to the other side of the hallway and her bed would have to be up against the wall, which is currently the fourth wall, like where the audience is looking at. So there's just no way. I'm sorry to go back to the house. There's no way Dorothy's room is next to that bathroom. It's the next day, and we're in the living room to find Dorothy and Rose coming out of the hallway, clearly in their junk, working on stuff clothes. You know, I always like to work in an oversized yellow sweater and khakis, or in Rose's nurse's scrub-looking floral blouse and white pants. White clothes? Oversized sweater? Pants? Come on, ladies. And Josh, I know you really liked Rose's top, and you noticed the pocket on Dorothy's way oversized, impossible-to-work-in sweater. You could fit a dozen iPads in there. I didn't even see it. It's so big. It takes up so much of the sweater. Seriously, a, 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 f- a full-sized uh, King James Bible. 
other things. The Biden Bible. Uh, some lean cuisines. <laughs> you could stack a lot of things in that pocket. The lid to the toilet tank. <laughs> oh, maybe that's where she keeps like little screws and nuts and stuff. It's so big, though. It's like flapping around. I guess she would lose it. You just I just can't. It's not it's not like, oh, she rolled the sleeves up. So they're kind of hanging a little bit. It's like her grandpappy's sweater. And she's trying to work in that. I just. Maybe the sweater belongs to the giant that was carrying them through the sky. <laughs> and they were in the pocket mm-hmm. because the Golden Girls are miniature. <laughs> Dorothy's years of dealing with Stan is her personal reasoning as to why she's so good at working with a snake in the bathroom. Rose lays out the plan that if they stick to their schedule, they should have a new toilet tank in by sundown. Dorothy, who had been sitting up, kind of throws herself back while explaining how exciting all of it is. And if you look at the sofa table behind her, those sweet little trinkets and the lamp almost eat it as the table was clearly put too close to the couch and her fall back gives them all a good jostle. The excitement quickly wears off as Dorothy points out how sad it is that on a Saturday night, she's not excited about going out or a date. She's excited because a toilet's being delivered. Sophia comes out in a green and blue bathroom tile-inspired checkered dress and fuchsia cardigan, annoyed that she's gone back in time to Sicily, where instead of a toilet, there's a hole in the ground. While Sophia tends to be hyperbolic, she might be right here, as I did find a source that stated indoor plumbing didn't reach some rural areas of Sicily until the 1950s. Rose comes up with a compromise. Seeing as how they are all lousy with bathrooms in this house, Sophia can just use Blanche's. But Sophia refuses. There are too many plants. It makes her feel like she's back home and she has to go to the bathroom outside. The doorbell rings and a man holding a toilet introduces himself as the plumber. Dorothy, never one to miss a chance to be a smartass, says, Can I see some identification? If he had taken her literally, she would have seen his ID read Alan Blumenfeld. Getting his start in 1983's War Games, Alan has been a character actor for nearly 40 years. He had some single-episode gigs with the classics La La, NYPD Blue, Moonlighting, and some recurring roles on CSI, Family Ties, and Heroes. While he's a real clown in this episode, don't worry. It's not the last time we get to see Alan on The Golden Girls. Ha 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 ha. I know this is weird and particular, but I loathe this new toilet. It's kind of a light gray blue and has one of those low profile tanks. It kind of looks fake and it's too low to the ground and I hate it. I'm sure they just got the smallest, lightest toilet possible for the scene, but no, I don't like it. Welcoming the plumber in, Dorothy is tickled by her own joke as she opens the door, letting the toilet come into its home. Joking back that the gals are the new proud owners of the toilet, Dorothy quips that they'll be sending out engraved announcements. While the announcement of births is something documented from basically the beginning of records, commercial announcements for private use, meaning not just an announcement in a paper, became available in the mid-1800s. Lou, the plumber, whose name we've learned from Dorothy's inspecting of his name patch, is quite smitten with the low boy toilet and recommends the ladies get it working ASAP. That's when the ladies inform him that they will be installing it themselves. Lou almost makes a good point, saying that they shouldn't do it because it's a delicate procedure people go to school to learn how to do, and you need to do it properly. As he says that, you kind of think, yeah, that is a good point, Lou. 
although Rose seems to know what she's doing. But then he ruins it all and makes us ha-ha-ha hate him by saying, you gotta be a man for God's sake, as if only a man could put some wing nuts on. As Dorothy demeaningly looks at Lou's name tag once again, she points out that women can do more than just clean the toilet. Lou handles this very maturely and in a helpful way by saying, okay, you want to do my job? Do it all. That includes being the moving guy. Now that they know he is a total jerk, Dorothy escorts Lou to the door and once again, as they say in the plumbing business, slam. Dorothy gets to slam the door in the face of a lot of jerks, and for that, I am very jealous. As Lou leaves, Sophia comes down the hall, desperate to keep the plumber from going. She isn't as worried about the girl's personal accomplishments as she is in her own bathrooming needs. Unfazed by her daughter's request, Sophia leaves to chase down Lou. Rose and Dorothy take it upon themselves to move the toilet, and we get some sitcom acting here as Dorothy tries to pick up the piece of porcelain for .02 seconds before totally giving up with a, oh honey, she won't budge. Rose isn't as fickle and says if the Egyptians could build the pyramids, we can move a toilet. I'm not sure how motivational that is, seeing as Dorothy's follow-up makes a good point, but she's only about half accurate. While science has found evidence that it was around 20,000 to 36,000 people that worked to build the pyramids of Egypt, it wasn't necessarily Jewish slaves or Hebrews. It was most likely farmers of the area that were unable to work in their off-seasons or when there was bad weather. This info is new, though, as more skeletons have been found through the years supporting the idea that the workers were actually Egyptian. Dorothy leaves Rose alone to contemplate how to move the toilet. Naturally, she pops a squat on the toilet to think about it. Right then, the front door opens to reveal Blanche as a canary yellow dream, head to purse. As she is opening the door for Richard, we hear her say how excited she is to introduce him to them. But before she can even finish the thought, she slams the door. You can't have your private jet having boyfriend thinking you have a living room toilet. That's like those people that post pictures of their kids' potty training. I guess we're both very passionate about toilet stuff. Because the people that post pictures of their kids' potty training with a toilet in the living room, what even is that? I don't care. I don't need, nor do I want to see that. And what kind of you-have-to-be-watching-TV-for-everything standard is that? Don't even try to come at me with, but keeping a toilet around helps with the potty training. No, there is no excuse for, at the very least, posting photos of it. Stop. No one wants to see that. Thank you. We are a house of toilet rules. Always one to think on her feet, Blanche tells Richard the girls aren't home and they share the saddest goodbye kiss, like something you'd get from someone's old uncle at a family member's wedding, certainly not a kiss of an almost fiancé. Rose apologizes to Blanche when she comes in, but she doesn't care. She'd rather show off her huge new diamond ring. For the second time in the season, Blanche is engaged. Dorothy is shocked to hear Blanche's backtracking on the wedding plans. Blanche explains that when she was going to meet Richard's family, she expected an elderly mother and maybe a spinster aunt, spinster meaning an older, unmarried woman. But no, he has children. Kids. Children kids. Young children kids. How on earth did you let a man put a ring on your finger when you haven't even had a conversation about his children? In classic rich old guy fashion, Richard, who we'll round up and say is 60, has a seven and nine-year-old. How fun for them to watch you die a slow death of old age as they're just trying to get through high school. 
At 92 years and 10 months old, Australian Les Coley holds the record for the oldest age to become a father. You know, because nature is just wacky like that. Caught up in the beauty of the proposal, Blanche said yes. But here's where she deserves some credit. She recognizes that with children that young, they need attention and a mother's love. That is something she's just not willing to do. She doesn't let the man's money make her decision for her, nor does she pretend to be willing to raise the children to keep the man or the money. She knows herself, and she's able to step up and say when something is just not right. So now she has to break up with Richard. Upset, she heads for the kitchen for a snack and table conversation. Before Rose and Dorothy can even chime in, Blanche has them figured out. Dorothy will say he's too good to give up, and Rose will say the opposite. But all contraire, Rose and Dorothy feel opposite. Rose would marry him, and Dorothy wouldn't. Dorothy gets it. Who would want to be a mother again? But Rose would love it. Then they go toe-to-toe through a list of all that is good and bad about parenthood. I mean, they really stay surface level with baseball games, laundry, and don't really go deep like lack of sleep, never getting to do what you want, constant need for attention. I guess I don't have a lot of pros on that list, hence why I don't have kids. Blanche feels some guilt about not wanting to be a mom, but it's more of a sorry-not-sorry. She wanted and still wants for these years of her life to be about her, which is okay. Dorothy talks about all of the joys of being a grandparent, how fun it is, but the limited time is perfect. That's why I love being an aunt. Rose counters, you get Mother's Day, and on Mother's Day, her kids would bring the cat in to wake her with putting the tail in her ear and cook her some breakfast before putting on a sock puppet show. Dorothy's pretty disgusted by the whole thing. Blanche has given up poking around her salad she brought to the table and is contemplating the idea Rose has put out to spend a few days with the kids before making any kind of decision. Blanche is scared it could all go wrong, but it is worth taking the chance. The problem solved, at least for now, Sophia comes in to apologize to Dorothy. All along, she'd been talking crap about her ability to plumb, but then she totally redeemed herself by placing a toilet in front of the TV. A dream come true. Hopefully they informed her it wasn't in working order before she, uh, test drove it. You know, it's, that, that joke made it seem like she had, had used the, the toilet. Yeah, I right? always like to think that she walked straight in and saw it and then walked straight to the girls to be excited about it because... Any idea otherwise is very horrifying. <laughs> and I know <clears throat> I know that you have a dry bowl story. <laughs> dry bowl. So. I do have a dry bowl story. Thank goodness it's not me. I pro- I'm not saying it happened to a friend. It really happened to a friend. About eighth grade or freshman year, I was house-sitting for a very close family friend, and I was allowed to have a friend over. And I had this friend over, and it's looking back, it's weird that it was that girl because we weren't super close. It was kind of that awkward figuring out if we're going to be close friends or not. The house we were staying in was pretty big, five bedrooms maybe and two or three bathrooms. And I knew that one of the bathrooms upstairs wasn't working. And I don't know if I had told her that or not, probably not. So I had just been using the smaller one downstairs, but I think she wanted some privacy. And before I knew it, she was upstairs and I didn't think anything of it. And a few minutes later, she comes running down and she's very upset and she's gibberish about the toilet and something. And I'm like, what's going on? What's going on? She's like, I used the toilet upstairs. And I was like, wait, the one in the hallway or the one in the bedroom? She's like, the hallway. And I was like, oh, no, that one's not working. She's like, I know. (laughs) 
And I used it. And I was like, what do you mean you used it? Didn't you look before? I feel like for most people, you just kind of look, I don't know, to either figure out where you're going to sit or especially a house you don't know, like how tall is it? How wide is it? I don't know. 100% of the time. Yeah. If you don't. <laughs> why? <laughs> it's thrilling. You have, if you can see and you're going to sit on a toilet, you should probably look at the toilet yeah. first. Now that's a fun life hack. <laughs> so she used it, but unfortunately it wasn't for a number one. It was for a number two. And this girl was so petite. She was a gymnast for forever. She was teeny, teeny, tiny. And she's just in a pan. She's like, I pooped. I pooped in the toilet. And I was like, didn't you notice there wasn't any water? And she's like, no, it was too late. And so, yeah, so it was a dry bowl and we panicked and I gave her some paper towels and I said, you have to flush it down here downstairs yes i didn't know that i didn't know that detail yeah because i think because the other the other bathroom upstairs was in the master bedroom and that was like off limits so we didn't even think for that moment that we could go in there and yeah she went and it was luckily for transport purposes it was a single it was a single situation. Entity. It was entity, a yes. entity, yes. And this poor girl just comes running down the stairs screaming, holding this thing out so far like it's a torch for the Olympics. Like a, a lit stick of dynamite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she just comes around. She's like, ah, and I'm like, ah, and I looked at it and I looked at her. She's like, you can never tell anyone. I haven't talked to her in 20 years, so I think it's okay to tell this story now. And uh, she flushed it and... Weirdly, we didn't become closer friends after that. You'd think we'd be like solid, no pun intended. Oh, and that would be like the story you tell. Yeah, like, like, oh, this is why we're like, oh, my God, we're best friends. Instead, it was almost maybe it damaged our friendship. She like couldn't look at me. Probably, yeah. Yeah. She knew that she could never be an equal with you. (laughs) Yeah, the dynamic was completely off. I held that over her. Yeah. Oh, I hope you didn't hold it over her. Oh, hey, oh. We're back in the bathroom. Dorothy is actually dressed for the job with jeans, a t-shirt, and a denim overshirt, while Rose is taking the role of oversized sweater wearer in a teal top, but an adorable scarf in her hair. Doing what appears to be thousands of dollars in tile and wall damage, Dorothy is elbow deep in the wall trying to follow the directions Rose is giving from a book whose pages are stuck together. Coco, can you imagine doing any kind of job like this with just one of those old manuals and not the internet? I actually remember those books where you could go and and it would have, do you remember those? And it had like the job at the top and all the instructions? No, I don't think. Oh, you don't? No. You could get it at like Home Depot or whatever. Oh, like a how-to repair Yeah, like a, ha- like a you know, Cliff Notes for That's idiots. Cool. I know, you know, and you would just, okay, well, with this manual, we're going to change the shower or whatever. That sounds like that would be very scary right? because, uh, well, I would mess that up. Yeah. Well, thank goodness for the Internet. Dorothy has once again given up. She's ready to just use the bathroom at the gas station down the road. But for amateurs, it's not that bad. It's only been about a week. But as Rose goes to wash her hands in the sink, the faucet somehow turns on the rainfall showerhead. In a panic, she tries to turn it off, but can't. Before they can get it all corrected... Lou walks in with Sophia, and he turns off the water. Lou is still a total jerk, telling the ladies how cute it is that they tried to do it all themselves, but it's clear that they can't. 
Sophia actually agrees with Lou. She's old school. Although Lou's a moron, he can fix the bathroom. Lou also gives us a terminology, oh boy, when he sees the new toilet on the ground next to the old one. He asks if it's for Siamese twins. Some of the first famous Siamese, or as we now call them, conjoined twins, were Aang and Chang, who were from Thailand. They were put into freak shows, and the twins were dubbed Siamese because they were from the area of Siam. But just like we don't say mongoloid for someone with Down syndrome or oriental for someone of Asian descent, the term Siamese is outdated and offensive. So more booze to you, Lou. Just like with the first plumber, Dorothy slams the door before we learn what they say in the plumbing game. With the closing of the front door, the kitchen door swings open to reveal a cool, calm, and casual Blanche who looks like she just spent the day drinking champagne at the spa, but her relaxed demeanor is actually just from her being exhausted. She's exhausted from spending the day with Richard's children. In classic rich white guy stuff, he canceled on Blanche and his kids, leaving her to take them to Bermuda last minute as he had to go to a meeting. Sure, she had fun with the children, but she isn't in this for family. She wants to be with Richard, and that's the one person she hasn't been able to spend time with. Three times that week alone, Richard had canceled and left Blanche with the kids, and I'm sure several nannies. As Blanche is explaining Richard's absences are starting to concern her, she makes the point that even Richard's son, Little Richard, said it happens all the time. This, of course, makes Rose's eyes light up with excitement. Not realizing Richard has, of course, named his son after himself, she giddily asks about Little Richard, the singer and outrageous performer of being in Bermuda. This, of course, leaves Dorothy open for a joke. Yeah, he was there to bury fellow singer Fats Domino in the sand. Fats didn't live in Bermuda, but he and Little Richard were both rock and rollers from the same time period. Blanche's time with Richard's children has forced her to be introspective. She knows he loves his children, but he barely gets time with them. How could he possibly make time for her? Perhaps he only wants her around to play mommy to them. So she's going to confront him about it at dinner. We're back on the private plane as Blanche is sitting in a very stiff-looking version of Sophia's checkered dress as she listens to Richard be all businessy on the phone. As he makes plans for more meetings, he makes a point of keeping the week of the 17th open for his honeymoon. You normally only do that, say the date without a month, if it's the next month. Guys, slow it down. Blanche looks clearly distraught as she already knows deep down how this conversation is probably going to go. They both have questions for each other, Richard going first, asking where Blanche wants to go for their honeymoon. We get a little bit of no boy here when Richard asks if Blanche would like to go to the Orient. Obviously, using the term Oriental is not used to describe people anymore, but some people still say the Far East or Orient. That has gone by the wayside, and to quote japansociety.org, there are several reasons scholars now avoid using phrases like the East, the Far East, and the Orient, including the exoticism they convey, their association with modern empires, the skewed view of world geography they present, and their tendency to homogenize large, diverse parts of the world as if they shared a single cultural identity. Before Blanche can answer the question, Richard is taken with how good his huge ring looks on Blanche's finger. This change in topic allows Blanche to start with her question. Her question isn't really a question anymore. 
She knows in her heart what she wants and needs to say. So she starts by telling Richard how much she cares for him and that she has really enjoyed the opportunity to spend time with him and his children, and she's even started to bond with them. The kids, while they started out as a big problem, were no longer the issue at hand. What was was Richard's inability to make room and time for Blanche as a wife. She isn't mad or sad about the fact that she's in third place in his life. She's not having a pity party. She's being realistic. Most importantly, she's the only one speaking up for the kids. They need their father around, and if she's in the picture, that's just spreading him even thinner. As Blanche walks over to the bar, we see her picnic table dress with little round mirror things all over it is actually the boxiest thing to be on the show since whatever the last thing Dorothy was wearing. It's also wrapped, so it looks like the corner of a napkin at her waist, although it does earn some points by having a cape on the back. I will always support a cape. Before Blanche can let the words out, Richard comes to the realization that Blanche can't marry him. She clarifies, no, it's not that I can't ever marry you, just not right now. He's not at a place for it. But once the kids are a little older and maybe he's backed away from work a little bit, he can call her. Blanche sadly but confidently removes her ring and says her goodbyes before walking away. Gosh damn it, it's not a cape. It's an open back dress with a scarf thing hanging on the side. I don't hate it, but it ain't no cape. Oh yeah, and she can't leave. She's on a private jet. That will make for an awkward remainder of the flight. Back at home, we're in the bathroom and everything is back where it should be. There are finished walls and a tiny toilet. Blanche comes in wearing what looks to be the jumpsuit from the God, I wish I was dead moment in a little romance, only she's gussied it up with a white blazer, bangles, and earrings. There's no telling how long it's been since the ladies started the bathroom or Blanche broke up with Richard, but it's safe to say it's been probably a few weeks. Blanche is back on her feet and ready to find new dicks, I mean Richards, even if they aren't as good looking or rich. With Sophia's entrance, the gang's back together and ready to show off the work they've done. Rose is at the toilet in a top that's the same yellow Blanche was wearing earlier, along with gray pants. Dorothy is at the sink in a purple square sweater with yellow and green line across the chest to match her yellow undershirt. And Sophia is waiting to see the finished product in a pink floral dress and pink cardigan. On the count of three, the ladies each use the water feature they're at, providing they did the work correctly. Although having the toilet flush, the sink turn on, and the shower running all at the same time does kind of make it hard to prove it's all working correctly. But they did it. No lube required. Take that, anti-feminists. As Rose and Dorothy look to Sophia for praise or even basic acknowledgement that she was wrong about needing Lou, she won't give them the satisfaction and simply says, it's water, not oil, chill out. Knowing what you are capable of, physically or emotionally, is important. Not only does it allow you to live a full life that meets your needs and boundaries, it allows the people in your life to have expectations for you that are actually achievable. By forcing yourself to do something you don't feel comfortable with, you lead others on as to what they can expect from you. Another component to this that we learned today is not to give up right away. Whether it's being a parent to young children or rebuilding a bathroom, none of the girls gave up before trying. Rose and Dorothy pushed through their insecurities, frustrations, and sexist plumbers to achieve something a little out of their comfort zone. While Blanche knew she wanted to be with Richard, she wasn't willing to settle for his money and children, only to end up in an unhappy relationship. 
She knew she wasn't interested in a second motherhood as she had worked hard to make sure she lived a life that met her needs. So let's all live the lives we want, holding our own boundaries, not settling for anything less than what we want and deserve, not getting intimidated by sexist plumbers, and not getting swindled into buying three dozen spud gaskets. A quick note about plumbers. Not all of them are sexist jerks. In fact, there's a wonderful organization called PlumbersWithoutBorders.org, which helps areas in the United States and around the world get proper plumbing and have access to clean water. The plumbers that work with Plumbers Without Borders volunteer their time to build and correct water systems. So if you'd like to help people get access to clean water, please visit plumberswithoutborders.org. And you can also visit the NavajoWaterProject.org as well. As always, thank you for listening and thank you for being a friend. Be sure to join us next week when we explore sexual harassment in schools in adult education. When it comes to TV, he has had some recurring rows, rows, <laughs> making the bottom look bulbous, sawish, Yeah, you'd be looking for a sugar mommy. I mean, I am looking for one. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. But yeah, the only sugar I give back is hugs. And kisses. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's Coco coming at you. hey <laughs> What was the question? (laughs) (laughs) I like a flush that sounds like it's going to suck my guts out. Yeah. You have a lot of doing that. You have a lot of rules about bathroom. Well, here's the thing. The poo comes out. It's the thing that you want the least. And you're just going to like sit over a bowl of it and look at Instagram. My baby took a dump today. Yay. Be sure to join us next week when we explore sexual harassment in schools with whatever the hell that episode's called. Always Be My Sisters is written, hosted, and created by Alicia Holland. Produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Always Be My Sisters is a Cascade Media production. You'll always be my sister.